This is the voice of Carnage, and you are listening to Carnage Cast. Hi everyone, welcome to Carnage Cast. I'm Tyler, and with me tonight are two local game designers, Kevin Warden and Brian Leet. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing good. Doing very well, thanks for having us. That first was Brian, and that second was Kevin, just for the listeners keeping track at home. So, what brings you to the show today? Well, we are uh, having a new game published in October called New Haven, and we're really excited. We're going to be going to Essen for its release, and um, we want to tell you all about it. Mm. This is the game you two designed together. Yes. Yeah, you could say we've been working on it for 35 years, um, so it's been a long road to to get here tonight. Sounds like uh, an intensive germination process. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, what's, what's the, what's the broad concept of New Haven? So the overall game is, um, that you're settling a new land and you work together to develop the, the land and individually to build your own towns within the colony of New Haven. Mm -hmm. So when you, uh, develop the land, you're trying to create value, but only as much as you really need yourself to develop your own town. Okay. So it's sort of a self-interested development. Yeah. It's self-interested sharing. But there's this tension that uh, you want to develop enough to do what you want to do, and therefore you might develop a little more than you need. And then the player to your left and the player to his left uh, might be able to make use of that extra value that you've created during your turn. Mm-hmm. And we should mention this is new. This is the uh, the colonial colony of New Haven in New England. Yes, it is. Yeah. So yeah. it's that breaking the land kind of theme. Yeah, it's set uh, right at the founding of the colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was looking at the uh, the rule book earlier today, and I was, uh, was noticed that you have a couple different boards going on. I wonder if you could sort of create a mental image of what people are going to see as as they're playing. Sure. So the, at the center of the table is the uh, the main game board, and that's where the land tiles get played that that you use to develop the land. It's also where you have a kind of futures market in the buildings that you can select and draft at the end of the turn, and a place to keep track of the value that you're creating. Uh, then in front of each player, they have a uh, town board, which shows where they've built their buildings, and also a screen. And behind your own screen, you'll see the t- um, two tiles that you have to play for the next turn uh, out on the land board, and the set of building tokens that you're still waiting to build. Okay. Okay, so you're building out the resources in the game board, and then each player has their own village board that they're developing and creating buildings in. Exactly. Uh, how does it how does it begin and how does the game flow? At the beginning, you you know you, there's a, there's ten turns and uh, each turn the player has a very simple set of options to choose from and it's just a matter of how you uh, take each move um, to the best um, uh, for your interest. And the first thing you do is place out a tile, a land tile, on the game board, and you align the different types of resources with resources already played on the game board, and that generates a total amount of resources available. So you're kind of riffing off of past plays. And then, uh, based on the resources available, the settlers will come to your village, uh, and that that is represented by the tokens that you can play onto your village. Um, If you're able to use all the resources up in a given turn, you're going to be able to draw more tiles, uh, sorry, tokens, which represent your settlers uh, that develop into your village eventually. The main considerations you're making as you're playing your tile is what am I going to be able to build? Is this when I want to build it? Um, And 
is it going to give me the best opportunity to draw new tokens that that kind of will continue to supplement uh, what I'm creating in my village? The tile play is completely freeform. You can build a, you can develop land wherever you want, and it just creates an amount of value. So you can really control how much or how little you want to create. But the tokens have to be connected in a certain way in your village. Once you start playing one of the um, colors, future plays of that color have to remain contiguous to it. So they start to, um, kind of like the game of Snake, they start to cut each other off. So your own development in one way can limit your ability to develop a different color that you also have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're trying to balance those, those two things. Um, and those, those two things really form the two story arcs of the game. The one in the game board is how much resources might be available because as large areas of resources are created, it's, it's easy to kind of tap into those and generate more resources in the future. That's the one story arc. And as you play, you can cut those off or grow them. The second story arc is what's happening in your own village, and that starts when you, kind of like any village, and you place that first building, it sets you down a path of where you're going to place similar buildings next to it or start in a different area. And the make out of the village, of course, is where you score uh, your points. Right. Because I noticed the village board has uh, the scoring based on rows and columns, and each r- right. row and column is a different value. So you create, yeah, you create, um, you get your points by creating uh, streets and avenues within your village. And the values that you get are, are really kind of proportionate to the difficulty of completing the rows and columns. So some of the buildings, of course, are much less expensive to build and others are much more expensive. So the, the streets that go across the board get progressively more valuable as you go up to the more expensive buildings. And the avenues, it's easier to get a complete um, uh, avenue across your, your village in the center of the board than it is along the edges because of that aspect I talked about before with the colors. Um, in the center, you can build in from either side and kind of fill in the gaps where you need to. At an edge, it's much easier to get cut off. So it's worth more to complete it an edge of the board. Mm-hmm. So you can have the urban infill at the end as well. Yes, and the, and the other kind of um, consideration you have is that the building tokens you take, they have two primary uh, features. They have a color and they have a number. And if you play them using both of those features, they're worth full points, but you do have the option to, to play them face down and use the color only and pretend they're a different number. And that basically halves the value of the, the road or avenue you create, but it gives you that infill possibility. I and see. a key decision in the game is how quickly do you kind of uh, abandon perfection and, and let uh, perfect not become the enemy of good enough. Right. Um, and I've seen people do very well with both um, a strategy of being very deliberate that they're not going to make that sacrifice, and, and people do very well with a strategy of I'm going to just build so much that that it doesn't matter. I've just I've filled in this town with these right. these kind of cheap uh, little infill pieces. It's a couple mansions or a lot of shanties. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I think there's one other piece to, to talk about with the game. Sure. Is it's very easy to see the game as a tile-laying game because there's two pieces of it. where You're laying tiles in the middle of the board and then the tokens are also almost a tile-laying game. But it's in many ways also a drafting game because as you're using those resources up, you're also 
um, determining how many tokens you'll get to draw for the next turn. Mm -hmm. And you get rewarded for completely using up the resources you create on a turn. So if you can um, generate value and exactly use that value with the buildings that you place um, in a particular color, that's going to be one more token you can draw at the end of your turn. And it, an important consideration in the game is getting the right buildings for future turns. So the, the, the tiles you just draw randomly, but the tokens you can take off the uh, futures market or randomly from the bag. And sometimes, um, especially as players get more experienced, they find that that drafting aspect of the game is a really key decision. Mm -hmm. So the game's always encouraging you to look ahead and have a rough idea where you need you want your pieces to be and how you're going to get there. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a strategic game in that way. Yeah, it's strategic, and you know, for the most part, it's abstract. I think we we settled on a uh, theme that definitely fit our our initial goal of having a center area that was of some sort of common value and interest, but then having own personal interests uh, in terms of your own player board. But uh, it's it's funny how the we settled. We we did we did migrate from one theme to the next, mm -hmm. and then maybe Brian, is it worth talking about how we ended up settling and kind of the the meaning of that? Sure, <laughs> literally settling on exactly. New Haven. Yeah. Um, when we presented the game, it had a, a slightly different theme that, with a similar um, kind of development concept, but the um, publisher felt that this game really was about uh, building a city or a town or a village or something along those lines, and we went back and forth about what that could be with a few emails, and then one day he just sends me a, a very quick note. He says, well, what about New Haven? You're settling the colony of New Haven. And as soon as he said that, I knew we had something we had to do because I'm actually descended from one of the original uh, 40 settlers of Guilford, Connecticut, which is one of the towns in New Haven. So I'm, I'm excited to see that the, the four village boards that we have in the game are named after the four towns that were settled in that year in 1639 when, when folks kind of migrated down the coast to um, some newly available land. Uh, a lot of interesting history about that as well. Not just one of the settlers, but one, one well, of those that went on to become the governor. I he understand. went on to become the governor mm -hmm. of New Haven, and then uh, New Haven kind of ticked off the crown and was forced to um, merge into the colony of Connecticut, uh, but he managed to become governor of Connecticut as well, so he has the uh, historic distinction of being the only person to have go governed both uh, New Haven and Connecticut. Wow. Yeah. And people can read more about that in the designer diary that's on Board Game Geek. Absolutely. <laughs> we touched on this a little bit earlier, so I'm wondering if you, uh, Kevin and Brian, could sort of lay out the, the design arc of this game, because I know it's it's got a long history if you go back to the very, very beginning. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that decision to go with New Haven and, and a lot of last-minute kind of design tweaks happened really in the 11th hour. I mean, that was in the last few months once we had a contract and we... We moved ahead with that, but it, it started, I joked, about 35 years ago. That's just when Brian and I met, and uh, we, we met at Brian's Dirt Pile, and you can read more about that in the designer's blog, but it certainly was the beginning of um, playing great games, uh, creating games, and, uh, and, and, uh, and sharing that, that joy uh, for 35 years. But about 10 years ago, um, maybe a little longer than that, 12, 13, Brian's, yeah, World He's nodding. Thought. Uh, we got a little more serious about sitting down and, and turning these ideas into something that not only would we enjoy, but we might share with others. Yeah, so uh, 
I've always, as, as Kevin alluded to, been designing games kind of for ourselves. And I think at that point, we both had the experience um, with the genre of games that we, we've ended up in, the, the German games, um, and the interest in doing something that went beyond just us and our group of friends in a, in a new way. We'd kind of pursued that in some other ways in the past, but um, this idea that we could design something and there was this stable of publishers out there who made games of this sort who might actually purchase a design was kind of a new, uh, a new thought to us. Um, and we started with a game called uh, Civitas that we developed over the course of a couple years and submitted to a German game design um, called Hippodice, a design competition um, run by a uh, game club in Germany. And that's It's an ongoing, um, very, uh, I think, wonderful competition that, that's still out there for designers if they're interested in, in seeing how their work matches up. And after a, a false start in the second year, we were able to get into the, the second round of the competition where they take about 50 games and all the designers mail in their prototypes and the game club plays them. And then within their structure, they rank them, they give you wonderful feedback, and they also select a handful of games to be finalists. And those finalist games are played in the course of a day by um, a small committee of industry insiders, including publishers, um, game reviewers, and a few other folks. And we were fortunate enough to be uh, one of, I don't remember exactly how many, but six or seven games that made it to the finals that year. And um, we didn't place, but we did have a publisher interested enough in what we were doing to take the game back to his publishing house. And um, after a back and forth of about six months, they finally decided it was not the right game for them at that point in time. Um, and we learned a lot about that. Um, kind of digressing into the, the publishing world, but I think it's it really started to guide our design process because we learned um, both, it, both that we had something. <laughs> we, you know, it was clearly we, were, we weren't just uh, in a pipe dream that was close enough to feel like, oh, I can almost taste it. Let's keep going after mm -hmm. this. Um, but we also learned some of the considerations publishers are, were looking for in a design and how much it is dependent on what they've published recently, the weight of the game, their expected cost to produce the game, um, the theme, you know, there's a lot of factors, how busy they are, whether they think they can really do it in the next year or if it's going to be four years before they can get to it. Um, we actually had an offer to publish it during that process. Yes, we've been from another publisher. We did our due diligence and um, decided against it, and sure enough, a few months later, that, that publishing publisher. company went out of business. Went out of business, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so you need, you're, as much as you're shopping the concept around, you're also evaluating who you're going to be working with. And and over time, that was the beginning, um, and through that I met um, a few people in the United States, um, Stephen Glenn, uh, who desi had designed Balloon Cup, um, and he's got other uh, games that he's come out, have come out since, and he's got a few uh, on the docket now. Um, I met Shortly after that, became a good friend. I went to Protospiel, which is a um, game designers convention that was in uh, East Lansing, Michigan at the time, and just started to network and and meet all these all these designers and all these publishers, and started to recognize that not only do you need to have a good design, 
and um, something that's marketable, affordable, but you also have to know which publisher to go show it to. Mm -hmm. uh, different publishers are looking for very different things. Some are looking sometimes and, and not others. Um, quick aside, Days of Wonder, who makes Ticket to Ride and Small World and all that. There was a time period when they just had first started up um, and they'd published, I think, Memoir 44 and uh, Mystery of the Abbey and maybe one other that they were out there just actively looking for designers. And boy, I wish we'd gotten on that bandwidth because they produce wonderful games. But then they went through a period after they hit, hit Ticket to Ride and a few other things that they they just kind of came out and said, look, guys, we don't need submissions. Mm -hmm. So you have to know where, you know, you don't want to waste your time or their time. You know, you're building relationships and you have to learn the market. Um, it's a long digression, but back to our game design, Civitas had a lot of the elements of shared and personal resources that this that, that New Haven now has and um, early in the design process we sat down and we wrote like about a paragraph I think it was of what we wanted the game to be like and it was we wanted it to be something we could play with our spouses we wanted it to be something that was accessible that um, didn't have a lot of rules you know a few pages of rules not a book full of rules mm -hmm. Uh, we wanted something that we could play in under an hour. Um, I can't remember if there were a couple others, but it was that those sorts of guiding thoughts kept us kind of under control through the following ten years. Because there's we so, many, so many, so many rabbit holes to go down. Yeah, yeah. sure. And um, and you know, so Civitas turned out to not be the right game, but we kept uh, we kept at it. We kept throwing new ideas into the game and pulling things out. And uh, eventually, um, at some point in the about four years later, we we ended up with a new theme where we got rid of Civitas. It had the board kind of the center board kind of divided in little pieces, and, and players playing cards. And somehow we had evolved to the center board being one contiguous build area, and players playing tiles out. And at that point, we had the heart of what New Haven became. Mm -hmm. um, but it was still about creating value, spend a value, you know, and and draw new pieces. Um, so I kind of feel like I could go on and on about like the nuances of of, of the mechanical changes, but but really, uh, in our process, it was it was a lot of testing and a lot of um, checking back with that kind of experiential. What do we want this game to feel like? What do we want it to be like? And we both enjoy very um, games that have a lot of strategic depth with relatively few rules, and um, games that are accessible in terms of the rules, but where it's not always apparent what you should do. So I think it's a, you know, that's that's where we ended up. Mm -hmm. We still enjoy. I mean, the uh, you can't design a good game if you don't want to play it a few hundred times. Yeah, at least. <laughs> yeah. So so from the beginning, uh, even when this, when this was Civitas, the you have that list of these are the things it needs to do to work for us beyond anything else. Yeah, and that was something I remember Brian saying early on. I mean, uh, as we kind of started on this journey of deciding we were going to really focus on designing a game and, and sticking to it, um, we knew it would take a while, and therefore we knew our perspectives might change over time. And so Brian said, let's write down kind of a mission statement for this game, this half a dozen items, and we did that. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, getting it out in front of people. And um, 
you know, as we, uh, a note for folks that are thinking of designing games, everybody that enjoys playing games has a great idea for a game. And when that idea is in your head, it's the best game ever. Uh, and it's not until you sit down with someone, which is the benefit of having a co-designer, or you sit down with um, and, and put something out on the table that that game, that great idea kind of clashes with reality <laughs> and, and you uh, start to get feedback. So um, one of the things, Brian, you know, he alluded to the, the Civitas evolving and the thing he doesn't mention is he, he continued year after year when we were in the heart of it to go to conventions or uh, game gatherings and, and put it in front of friends, uh, but also other designers. I mean, I think it was William Atia that said, let's, you know, think about breaking down yeah, he had a great quote because he knew he knew I was an architect by trade, and he said uh, the, you know, his analogy was your game works very. It's, your game is like a very, serv, you know, it's a serviceable flat. It's like a nice place to live, but you're looking for something beyond that. And the only way that you can make the space better is to knock down some walls. And and he was absolutely right that you know we had we had honed that concept of the design into a very elegant, complete package. That wasn't fun. But Well, it was. <laughs> it, it had flaws. It was. Yeah. It really was fun. I mean, I probably, yeah. we, played, we played Civitas easily 100, 150 sure. times in, its, in that iteration. But unless, it, it had a really steep learning curve. It was very punishing. Um, it, was, it was possible for one player to be clearly running away with still 15 minutes to play in the game. So there were some aspects about it that we didn't want to be in the game that we produced. But as designers, we were trying to, I think, exert too much control over the process of the game by having those divisions on the board. And, and right. the suggestion to break it out just meant that the freeform put a lot more of the flow of the game into the player's hands. Right. And, and that's that's how it... I and I think his, his analogy wasn't just about the board, of sure. course. It was about, you know, you've gotten... We, we had developed it. Uh, it had been perfectly polished for what it was, but we needed to just let go of that gem and, and break out and, hmm. and kind of back away from some of the things and, and just change things, just, just what we did. So uh, can you walk us through a little bit more what your design process was and how it might have changed over the years? Sure. Um, first of all, it's tied to where we were living. Um, back when we started this, Brian was in Pittsburgh and I was here in Burlington, Vermont. And we'd have uh, annual or twice a year get-togethers uh, with a third friend and that would always be this deadline to, to crank through and get something done in order that, that we could bring it with us and, and, and play it. And those would be these intense, long weekends of working through things, making changes. And we'd go back and things might sit for a bit, but we would certainly uh, uh, do stuff by email, um, chat online, and work through uh, changes. But it'd be, it'd be a, a combination of intense periods followed by long, quiet periods. Yeah. Yeah, I think our, our, our design process has been marked by uh, the, the ups and downs of energy for, cer for certain. We, yeah. we have, there were times and weekends where, or, or, or four or five day trips where we would iterate the design uh, a few times a day. We'd be writing new rules, I mean, significant changes and, and, and testing them out, playing it a couple of times and doing it again. And then uh, months would go by at other times when not much would happen. Um, as we, uh, so as the middle of the decade kind of arrived, I ended up moving up to Vermont in part because I enjoyed coming up here so much and 
designing games, but <laughs> and everything else. It's a pretty nice place to live. It's a beautiful place to live. And so that changed our design process a little bit, um, in part because we were so close, the fire wasn't under us. And there was actually, and, and there were other life factors uh, with work and kids and so forth, but we did, we did go through actually a kind of a wall period around the same time I moved up here where uh, um, counterintuitively we did less joint designing for a while. And it was really just a few years ago that we, we really buckled down and said, we're going to do this. Um, so that's kind of where our energy has been at. Um, I think in, in terms of process, um, we both do everything, but we both we bring, I think, different energies. Kevin's much more likely to have like a new idea. When we sit down, it's pretty pretty common for Kevin to pull out his moleskin notebook and say, well, I was thinking about this, and he's got a new idea. And I'm, I'm much more likely to be um, kind of throwing the darts at it and seeing if it's something we're going to really test. And then if we if we get it to the point where it's going to be tested, you know, then we, then we start just getting into a back and forth of, okay, how can we refine it? How can we tweak it? Um, and I think that helps us both kind of keep our eye on uh, how does this work experientially, not just like does this function, you know, does the math work or is it mechanically sound, but like what's it really feel like to do this? And a lot of the stuff that Kevin will bring to the table will be in response to that sort of a question okay, it's working, but I want to have this different experience. Maybe if we put, put an auction and maybe if we put a, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, yeah, and, and one of the things that, you know, uh, one thing about a partnership is both we kind of keep each other honest. Uh, if one of us, la- you know, starts to kind of uh, fade in, in terms of our energy uh, working on this, the other might ramp it up. And, and the other thing, one of the things that Brian brings, in addition to having gone out and making all the contacts and um, you know, continuing to, to develop a network within the gaming community, is much more game experience. And I would also, as he recommended to me, anyone that's thinking of designing games, go out and play games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I love games, but I kind of play a smaller canon, a smaller um, a, a, a amount of games just based on having a family and focusing on games that uh, are a little closer to that uh, that um, play group but uh, Brian's always said you know keep playing games and I've uh, over the past three or four years definitely broadened the amount of uh, types of games I've played so but for a while I would throw out ideas and Brian would say well go check out this game or look more into that game <laughs> because it's you know it's already already been plumbed but mm-hmm. uh, yeah were you were you finding that exploration was sort of changing your your ideas for where this should go? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's, it's validating some decision points, and um, and then in some ways also just saying, "Wow, yeah, we need to really broaden our perspective." I mean, the, the whole central game board, which we came up with, you know, ten years ago, um, and just have slightly morphed. It's very present in the um, the great abstract game by. Um, Reiner Knizia, a genius. Uh, it's 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 done in a different way, but it's you know he has a game where you put tiles out, and as the more tiles you put out, they start generating more and more value. Uh, we, we've done some other things with it, but we come up with our idea much before that became more more common and popular. And um, so, again, just getting out there and seeing new games either validated um, certain design elements or or led us in, in different directions. Yeah, I think I bring a little bit of a, um, you know, my philosophy on creativity is that there isn't really um, 
a whole lot of truly original ideas. There are a lot of um, uh, really interesting nuances and twists, and there's really well executed and not so well executed ideas. So I think uh, that that's also been maybe a difference, especially I think less so in the last few years, but you know earlier on when we were in the partnership, you know it was kind of this like, well, can we come up with something that nobody else has done? And and I'd yeah, I kind of always be able to say, well, this is awful similar to this other game I played. And and I think that once you get comfortable with that, you, you realize um, that's perfectly okay. You know, there's there's a reason there's the market for games seems to just keep growing, even though the database for games has gotten massive. And it's because um, it's it's interesting to explore the little subtleties, and it's interesting to try something new. And um, every designer uh, has an opportunity to put their own take on a particular idea, and um, I I think that's wonderful. I think it's a a really good place for the industry to be, and uh, as long as we have good ways to evaluate which games we want to try and match up the game to the player well, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's just a win for everybody. Yeah, another um, interesting side story about partnerships is Brian mentioned he's an architect. Uh, I'm a civil engineer, and architects and engineers work together often, and we worked on some things. And I think it's it's humorous that often in, in that industry, the architect comes up with this kind of grand idea, and then it's up to the engineer to make it work. And oftentimes in our uh, in our relationship doing game design, I'm coming up with some cockamamie idea, and, and then Brian's either either kind of making it work or, or showing how it won't. Or, or just rolling my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> rolling eyes. yeah, we get to roll our eyes at each other in different parts of our lives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the quote came back on the the wooden meeples. They're gonna have to be plastic. That's <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you, you 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 throw that out there, but that's actually I think one of the things that was a success point for us was early on in the game design process uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because we considered self-publishing for a little while, and also because of my contact with publishers, we got very um, component conscious. And I, I have a lot of confidence that part of the reason we were able to sell this design was because of the component mix and the ready apparentness to the publisher of what that was going to have to be. He already had an image before he, you know, before we had the handshake agreement, I'm sure, of what uh, it was going to take him to, to produce it, what price point he could hit. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually did better than the price point I think he originally was hoping to. And... Um, and that's a real factor. You know, Fantasy Flight can command $75 for each of their games, but most publishers can't and won't and aren't really interested in that. And that drives a, um, it drives a different type of design. And you know, our goal was how do you get the most gameplay out of that small set of components instead of using a lot of components to kind of expand upon the theme and the gameplay, which is... Just different. I enjoy both types of games. It's not a better or worse, but it's that's definitely what we focused on early. Right. You you were you. Sounds like you as as you communicated more and more with the community, you were learning to tailor the design to the make it, the publishing realities. Yeah, and tailor the com- the cost and the complexity of the components and the complexity of the design and and, and the rules to the experience. You know, the, they all kind of have to line up with each other. Yep. Um, if you have a game with really great, and we've all played the game with really great components, 
and an underwhelming simplistic design where you realize, you know, 10 minutes into it, oh, all I'm really doing is moving a fixed number of spaces and rolling some dice to find out what happens when I attack this other guy or whatever. And the decisions are actually relatively few and not that meaningful. <laughs> you know, and that's always a disappointment. You, you want those games with the juicy components and all those pieces to be equally, you know, exciting. You know, War of the Ring is, I think, you know, it's an epic game because it's got epic pieces and it's got an epic story and it's got epic gameplay. You know, that's that's a sort of game I look at. I can't even imagine how you. I don't have enough time in my life to design a game like that. <laughs> I think we lost two years to game design by playing that. <laughs> that might be why we. Had yeah, so it might be. <laughs> well, that must have been the sabbatical, though. So, exactly. yeah, exactly. So you know that, and that's really at the other end of the spectrum from the sort of. I mean, I think there's strategic elements, but but the type of play and type of rules and complexity. Yeah. We, you know, our our game has. Uh, you know, there's no writing on the pieces other than a number. You know, it's yep. it's it's language neutral. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot of a lot of difference there. Which is great, not just for uh, broad appeal to people that speak different languages, but also it, it means a, a broader age range of accessibility. I've play tested the game with my daughters who are eight and eleven now. They were six and uh, nine uh, when I when I originally play tested it. And, you know, they, you know what, what's nice about it is it scales up depending on who's sitting across the table from you. You're not fighting the game, you're, you're playing an opponent. And um, you can play a very simple kind of place the tiles and see how things turn out game, or you can really um, delve into the, the depth of strategy um, if you have a seasoned opponent. Mm. Did you make any particular design discoveries playtesting with your daughters? <laughs> um, I, I have. They've, they've uh, you know, more on a recent design uh, in particular, one of them said, this is too long, uh, it takes too long. And the other one said, there aren't enough options. And uh, both very kind of astute, critical comments uh, for, from young kids, which I was pleased to hear that feedback. I definitely don't have, uh, you know, uh, playtesters that are uh, supportive no matter what I do. <laughs> <laughs> the other, I guess the other thing, um, you learn is a way to dis- way to teach and describe a game when you play with younger uh, children. You really need to get to the basics and um, walk through what a, what a turn will be, and because uh, that's where you, that's where you start, and not worry so much about the ending when you play. So I wouldn't say we made it you know many significant game changes in the design. Although like the notion Brian said of of playing a uh, building in your village face down, where that comes from is not having the frustration of ending up in a place in the game while you're playing it where you just have an inability to do something. And so that notion of creating opportunity, even if it's not a great opportunity, so you can have a, a forward-moving action in a turn kind of comes from playing with kids. The other thing is when Brian moves to Vermont, you know, every Saturday we have uh, the great New England tradition of a farmer's market here. and. After Civitas, that became the theme of, of this of New Haven, and uh, my girls had a had great great uh, enjoyment of playing a, a farmer's market game. They're a little suspicious uh, of a change, so I'm I'm hoping that uh, the artwork which um, uh, Frank at at R and R Games uh, contracted with is it Dennis Dennis Lauhausen, I think I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, but the the artwork for New Haven is is amazing. They did a really really nice job. So I'm hoping that artwork wins my kids over from having really enjoyed the farmer's market too. <laughs> Apparently farmer's markets might not have as broad appeal outside of Vermont as we thought it would. 
<laughs> you might be right there, but I think that some people are catching on. They're, yes. they're catching on. We, we, were, we, we gave a little bit of a pitch for, hey, you know, this will be the next big thing across the country, but um, I think uh, game publishers have enough riding on, on their investment that they're not necessarily trying to um, invent new markets where yeah. they might not exist. Right. <laughs> they know who their audience is. They know who their audience is, and I think, and I have to say, you know, Frank um, is, again, somebody that we met through through kind of just contacts, networking, playing games with them at conventions. I'd, I'd known Frank for, oh, probably 10 years before I, I showed him this game in a version that he was excited about. Um, and it, it is exciting to see somebody who's experienced in the industry take your design and just take, you know, go with it and say, okay, here's what we need to do, here's what it has to be. You know, it's kind of magic in some ways. You know, we didn't, we, we wouldn't hear thing, anything for a while, and then this piece of artwork comes back with a cover that we, we, we just love. We had one little comment. And, yeah. Um, uh, pretty much that's it. I mean, really, it, there's almost no commentary from us on the art. It was, it was just so beautiful when it showed up, and um, you know, a little bit of commentary to help edit the rules, but um, you know, other than that, we haven't done much. You know, it's really been. You know, in his hands. get anxious. Yeah, you know, build up our anxiety and get get ready to go go do it. Yeah, he's done a great job at game development. This is Frank DiLorenzo, and um, you know, there's actually two kind of late minute design tweaks too. One of the big design spurs was as Brian was sitting with him at a convention, and he was deciding whether or not to 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 uh, publish it. And and we made some last minute design changes there based on feedback, which uh, he went with. And then uh, right at the tail end before publishing, he said, I want to be able to give the players a little more value. So take your your baseboard that you've been working with for years, let's flip it over and do something fun with it. And so there's a B-side on the board that was his idea to incorporate. And Brian and I worked up uh, some probably a little more advanced um, components that would go into that or advanced um, mechanics that go into that. And a simple rule set, so that's now that'll be available in the box, which is nice. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, and he, you know, he's his philosophy was, why would you just print a back of a board that's uninteresting when I can flip it over and there can be something happening there? Yep. And um, and then on top of that, uh, because it's launching in Essen uh, at Spiele in Germany, it's um, he's printing a uh, expansion, as he calls it, which actually takes. Uh, an idea that we had in the game for a while and we enjoyed, but decided didn't need to be there. So this the base game really is the game that kind of honed down to what does it need to be to be this game. And the expansion adds uh, adds some other pieces back in, and I think for um, you know for some players it'll be take it or leave it. I think for other people it, it adds a little bit of a race element between the players to get to certain kind of mid-game objectives, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just enough to make it if you played the base game, it twists it up a little bit. And I definitely encourage people, uh, if they do pick it up, if they do get the expansion, you know, try the game vanilla, try the game board B, try the game board A with the expansion. You'll, you'll find that each of those iterations is going to have just the subtly different pressures on how you make your decisions. And, and that's kind of like, that's what we really like in the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and after you've learned it, it's about 15 minutes per player to, to cruise through a game. So there is a lot of replay ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the new, the Essen uh, 
expansion that Brian mentioned includes a card for the governor of New Haven, which yeah. would be William Leet, uh, Brian's I, I, I try to just claim that by default at the start of every game, but it doesn't seem to fly. You get the Guilford board, and that's about it. <laughs> that's about it, yeah. Um, so, Kevin, uh, what you mentioned just raised a question in my mind. So, going off what you were saying about uh, 15 minutes per player, how does this game scale? Is, is there a sweet spot, or can it work between 2 and 4? It's a great Great question, Tyler. Um, I think we've probably played two-player and three-player in our various playtests the most. Um, I'd say two and three are the sweet spot. Four, if you've got the right crew. Um, but it's, uh, Yeah, I've actually that? played it. I've played four a fair amount. The only thing I would say about four is the learning game. Right. There's an aspect to the game. Um, you're never wondering what you can do. But, but you really are wondering what you ought to do. And so the first time through the game, especially, and you all know the players in your group, so you can make this determination, but if there's that person who, who really struggles with not quite knowing how the end is going to turn out, but they have to make the right decision now, it can take a while for that player to make their move, uh, especially the first time through the game. So I do, I do, I would say... I really like it with three to kind of learn the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a terrific head-to-head game. I and mean, part of the reason we were able to develop it is because the two of us could just play head-to-head over and over and over. We all could do four games in an evening, five games in an evening. Um, and Brian would beat me continuously. <laughs> and, um, but I've played it an awful lot with four also. Um, actually, that was one of the things that we did leading... Or I, I guess I did because I was running the playtest groups a little more leading into that last the trip that we actually ended up selling it was I wanted to be comfortable that it would play well uh, with that number and as I say the only thing I saw was occasionally when if I did a blind play test where I just gave four new people the the rules and the game and they sat down and played you know I'd love to be able to say it was an hour game but generally it was close to an hour and a half for them to do all of the get the components out go through the rules understand what they were doing and play through the game Personally, I think an hour and a half is, you know, especially now. It used to be, when we started designing this 12, 13 years ago, Euro German games, there was this expectation of, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. You know, since then, we've had a lot of evolution in that world, and uh, I think there's a lot more games that run a little longer. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that, the, for me, the enjoyment factor is when it's sticking at that 15 minutes. And uh, one thing we alluded to but didn't mention in detail is that on another player's turn at the end when they've created all the value, it then goes around the table and every each other player may have the opportunity to play on, on someone else's turn. So you're not just kind of disengaged waiting for your turn. There's an opportunity to play on each player's turn. So. And if you're playing well, you're really watching what other players are drafting, where they're playing how they're building their board. I, I would say that that aspect of it is very much like Ticket to Ride. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can play Ticket to Ride and not look at the board except on your turn, but you're going to do a lot better if you're paying attention to what the other players are up to. So. It's encouraging a lot of uh, between-turn engagement. Yeah, yeah, that was important to us, that, you know, yep. not wandering off in the middle of the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've sort of talked about the, the, all the, the notes the game is hitting. Would you two like to sort of describe who you think this game is going to speak to the most? Like the, the player and what that player values and what they're going to find here? I would say um, 
you know, my picture is probably of players who really like some of the Knizia classics through the age, uh, through the desert rather, um, and genius Kevin mentioned before. Um, it's you know the level of complexity of the rules and and components is is not much different from like a Ticket to Ride or Carcassonne, but the I think that the level of um, kind of feeling like you need to make strategic decisions to feel like you're playing well is just a step higher. I think so. So for players who want something super casual, they might find it just a little. I've, I've run into a couple of people who find it a little like, stressful. To feel like I don't know if I know what I'm, if I'm doing the right thing. Uh, at the same time, that means that there's a lot of subtlety and control. And um, you know, if you're a, um, a Meritrash only gamer, this is not your game. Um, you know, there's no. There's nothing to, to destroy. There's no dice to roll. There's no, no zombies. There's no Cthulhu. There's no, there's no Cthulhu. There's no, there's no cards with clever uh, text or, or designers, not necessarily writers. <laughs> well, this is a New England town, so there could be a Cthulhu expansion. Well, one of my friends wants to. <laughs> one of my friends wants to make a pillory expansion. But he was. Uh, he said it was challenging to make a pillory that would uh, restrain a two hundred pound person and fit it in a, a reasonable size box. <laughs> I think there are special conventions for that kind of activity. <laughs> there might be. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's giving the whole picture. I'm trying to think of other well, games. Well, uh, you know, Zularetto of... comes to mind. Not that yeah. it's the same type of game, but it's the same level of. I mean, I played the first time I played Zularetto with my family. I was like, why was this a Spiel de Jahres winner? And then two or three times into it, I started to see the depth of it. And I think that's this kind of, this, this game fits into that, uh, that type of a, uh, a game style. If, yeah, it's a sort of game, if you, if you like the game that, that bends your brain a little bit, but when you finish, you want to play again because you want to do better. Um, I think that's, that's the sort of game it is. Um, yeah. Uh, it's the kind that encourage that motivates people to learn from the last play and do better in the next. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's one of the fun things about game design. It's why one of the reasons we needed to have those rules written down is because if you just keep tweaking the rules a little bit, then you're always getting to rediscover what's the best way to play it now. And we really both enjoy discovering the best way to play it now. Um, so sometimes I think we'd have to restrain ourselves from changing things just for the sake of changing it up. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but what we got there. File those changes away for a, for, for a different game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the games moving through the publishing pipeline. What what's the next step for New Haven? Well, uh, for a while there was a lot of back and forth with Frank, and and uh, and now I think it's it's at the printer or hopefully being shipped from the printer because. <laughs> When we're recording this, Essen is about three weeks away. Um, and then uh, Brian and I are headed to Germany. Um, we're you know mid mid October. We're gonna uh, he, he, we're traveling there, and um, we'll we'll be at Essen different amount of times, but certainly the the opening day, and and we'll both be there, uh, hopefully with the game that's arrived as well, and <laughs> demoing at at R and R Games booth uh, at Essen. And we'll be there uh, also on the setup day. We're hoping uh, to, you know, be able to meet with more people, show it off, maybe uh, get Board Game Geek to let us show it off too. And, uh, the, going back to the beginning um, kind of design story, we've also been in touch with uh, the folks who run the Hippodice Game Competition, and they've asked us to come and show the game that evolved out of the game 
that ten, they saw it 10 years ago, ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, at their booth for a little bit. So we'll be, we'll do that at some point during the week as well. And we're working on uh, kind of polishing off a, a spin-off card game only. Um, I wouldn't call it a, a variant, but just a game in the same, same genre that we'll bring with us and see if we can find some interested folks to take a look at that. So you're already moving on to the next challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, we, you know, at the time that this got picked up, we, that year I brought three game designs uh, to show to publishers. And um, we've always had, it seems, that seems to be about our, our carrying capacity, two or three designs. Uh, you know, one, it's hard to only focus on one. And uh, if you go past three, one of them just becomes neglected. <laughs> it's been kind of our experience. So right now we've got uh, one game that we, we feel pretty polished about. We just have to finish writing some stuff down, making the prototypes, and another that we're, we're kind of poking and nibbling away at, and we'll see if it's something we want to show to publishers or not. So you're both going to Essen, which is huge, both in the fact that you are going and it is a huge show. Yeah, right. Um, for people who are staying on this continent, where are they going to be able to find New Haven? Well, this is unique. I was talking with Frank at R&R Games, and his plan is to release it. He's, of course, a, a United States publisher, and I think he has some arrangements to, to make it accessible in, in Europe. But um, he, oftentimes, when people hear about something in Essen, they then have to wait many months to a year before it makes its way to the United States. And I think Frank's plan is to have it release here the same time or you know, within weeks after Essen. So we're hoping, uh, you know, you can walk into Quarterstaff uh, or Triple Play and hopefully get a, a copy there. Um, certainly it'll be available online. I was poking around online and I've seen you can already pre-order it from, from some of the usual suspects online. Excellent. Yeah. Um, if people uh, don't want to wait and should want to read more about the game, they have the, uh, the designer's diary that you, Brian, wrote that's on yep. Board Game Geek and that'll be linked in the show notes. Is there anywhere else in particular they can go? I think uh, Board Game rules... Geek is the is the source of all things board game in my world. <laughs> yep. yep, the rules are posted on Board Game Geek, and there's already, you know, it's probably on about uh, two dozen lists of folks that are heading to Essen. So, um, yeah, there's yeah. there's the folks are starting to comment on it a lot. But you have the scoop. This is the first time someone has talked to us about <laughs> New Haven. Yeah, I'm happy to be the first. Yeah, <laughs> and this this episode will drop next Monday, basically. Okay. So it'll be in ample time for us. Great. Um, I think the in case you're listening to this and you've sat through the entire thing and you only know a little bit of English, the game is translated <laughs> into German, uh, Dutch, Italian, French. French, I believe, and I think they're working on Spanish. So there will be. I don't think those rules are in the box. There might be German rules. Uh, available uh, on the side at Essen, and certainly they'll be available in an electronic form. Um, as we said, it's, you know, there's no no component reading required, and the, the rules are pretty straightforward, so uh, hopefully that's facilitating. I'm, I'm delighted that, you know, I don't know what distribution will be like in that part of the world, but I'm delighted that the option is there for people to, mm-hmm. to pick it up. And how do you, how do you think the, the language barrier is going to influence your demoing at Essen, just our curiosity. Uh, I'm hoping that enthusiasm overcomes any language barrier. <laughs> we'll, we'll practice waving our arms around. Them. 
I, I, I know enough of three different languages to bungle all three of them. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that I'll be endearing to, to various uh, players in that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, um, played with Duolingo for a little while and, and have to admit even that has fallen by the wayside. So I'm going uh, gonna to not do too well with my German. Dankeschön. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, Board Game Geek is the source for more information on New Haven. If people want to reach out to you, they can find you both there, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And we do, um, you know, we're not necessarily monitoring daily, but pretty close to daily. Um, you know, if people post questions in the forums or whatever, we'll jump in and answer. Mm-hmm. And the publisher's taking interest as well, as I noticed. Yep. So that's great. And there is information, if you happen to be listening to this and going to Essen, um, I don't know the booth number off the top of my head, but that information's on there. G149, I think. Yeah. Kevin's trusting his memory. Yeah. Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes, don't worry. Uh, any final, final thoughts, gentlemen? Aside from play the game? Play the game. Thanks for having us. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this has been fun. Yeah, I think the only other thing is we haven't made any arrangements yet, but we do hope, uh, you know, we both live in Burlington now, and we do hope to do something in the area at some point between uh, the end of October and Christmas <laughs> to, to give people a chance to come in. Um, as Kevin alluded to earlier, I've played an awful lot of board games in my life, many, many more than I've bought, and I'm a huge believer in try before you buy if that's what you like to do, so we're hoping to give people the opportunity to do that. Excellent. We'll keep everybody posted. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. You've been listening to Carnage Cast, a production of NNEG LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit us at www.carnagecon.com.